0: Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zorza Africa Amuka Na unai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency seven two three zero kHz on the forty-one meter band to southern Africa, and on one five two double five kHz on the nineteen meter band to far west Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel eight zero two. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with One Sinsi, Wisani Matebula, and Figilelingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour, President Obama says goodbye in an emotional tribute. Tobacco deaths on the rise. And in economics news, growth is expected to rise by 2.7%. They first up the news with Onelin Thank
2: you, Lulu. Kenya's government is threatening to fire the more more than 5,000 doctors who have been on strike for more than a month if they don't return to work by this Wednesday. On Tuesday, the country's employment and labor relations port issued arrest warrants against seven officials with the Kenya medical practitioners, pharmacists and dentists' union. The judge had ordered the officials to call off the doctor's strike, ruling that it was illegal. The officials continue with the strike. A mediation mission by West African regional bloc Echos to Gambia has been delayed from Wednesday until Friday. Gambia is locked in political crisis after President Jammeh refused to accept his defeat in a December 1st election by opposition candidate Adama Burrow. The standoff prompted an Ekoa's delegation led by Liberian President Ellen Johnson-Soleff to intervene to try to ensure a peaceful transition of power in the tiny West African country. South Africa's ruling ANC veterans are pushing for review of the party's electoral system and changes to its constitution. The call comes ahead of the party's elective conference in December. They believe that it is critical for the ANC to debate the electoral system before the 2017 succession discussion is officially opened. ANC stalwart Sidney Mofamadi says they remain concerned over the state of the party and its lack of leadership.
3: Is it one that uh, makes the organization prone to behavior that is unbecoming? Uh, Is it one that guarantees and ensures that our public representatives are accountable to the organization, whilst they are first and foremost accountable to the country?
2: The UN must commit to a surge in diplomacy for peace, enhance its mediation capacity and take preventative action to avert mass atrocities or grave human rights abuses. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres outlined his views on conflict prevention in his first major speech to the Security Council on Tuesday. He also called on member states to make greater use of the Chapter 6 under the UN Chapter which provides for the peaceful settlement of disputes.
4: We must commit to a surge in diplomacy for peace in partnership with regional organizations, mobilizing the entire range of those with influence from religious authorities to civil societies and the business community. We will launch an initiative to enhance our mediation capacity both at United Nations headquarters and in the field, and to support regional and national mediation efforts. And I ask the Security Council to make greater use of the options laid out in Chapter 6 of the UN Charter. And I'm prepared to support you through the use of my good offices and through my personal engagement.
2: And lastly, with a final shot of his campaign mantra, Yes, We Can... President Barack Obama urged Americans to stand up for U.S. values. He also urged them to reject discrimination as the country's transition to the presidency of Republican Donald Trump. In an emotional farewell speech in Chicago, he thanked his family and declared his time as president the honor of his life. Obama asked the public to embrace his vision of progress while repudiating some of the policies that Trump promoted during his campaign For the White House, in his final request to Americans, Obama called on the nation to believe in their ability to bring about change. Channel Africa News, I am Onilin Cincy.
0: This
1: It's 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Outgoing U.S. President Barack Obama has given an emotional final speech urging Americans to stand up for the U.S. values and reject all discrimination. Obama says he is leaving the United States a better, stronger country after his eight years in the White House. He listed among his achievements economic growth, the nuclear deal with Iran, and legalizing same-sex marriage. Take a listen to President Obama's emotional tribute to his family.
5: Some of you here tonight or watching at home, you were there with us in 2004, 2008, 2012. Maybe you still can't believe we pulled this whole thing off. Let me tell you, you're not the only ones. Michelle? LaVaughn Robinson, girl of the South Side, for the, fa- for the past 25 years you have not only been my wife and mother of my children, you have been my best friend. You took on a role you didn't ask for. And you made it your own with grace and with grit and with style and good humor. the White House a place that belongs to everybody. And a new generation sets its sights higher because it has you as a role model. So you have made me proud and you have made the country proud. Malia. And Sasha, under the strangest of circumstances, you had become two amazing young women. You are smart and you are beautiful, but more importantly, you are kind and you are thoughtful and you are full of passion. And you wore the burden of years in the spotlight so easily. Of all that I have done in my life, I am most proud to be your dad. To Joe Biden. decision I made as a nominee, and it was the best. Not just because you have been a great Vice President, but because in the bargain I gained a brother. And we love you and Jill like family, and your friendship has been one of the great joys of our lives. To my remarkable staff, for eight years, and for some of you a whole lot more, I have drawn from your energy, and every day I try to reflect back what you displayed, heart and character and idealism. I've watched you grow up, get married, have kids, start incredible new journeys of your own. Even when times got tough and frustrating, you never let Washington get the better of you. You guarded against cynicism. And the only thing that makes me prouder than all the good that we've done is the thought of all the amazing things that you are going to achieve from here. And to all of you out there, every organizer who moved to an unfamiliar town, every kind family who welcomed them in, every volunteer who knocked on doors, every young person who cast a ballot for the first time, every American who lived and breathed the hard work of change, you are the best supporters and organizers anybody could ever hope for. And I will be forever grateful. Because you did change the world. You did. And that's why I leave this stage tonight even more optimistic about this country than when we started. Because I know our work has not only helped so many Americans, it has inspired so many Americans, especially so many young people out there.
1: President, a former U.S. president, outgoing U.S. president in the next 10 days. Barack Obama giving a special tribute there to his family and Vice President Joe Biden. And just thanking the American people and his family for all the support and love that they've shown him during his tenure of uh, over eight years in the presidency. Now, back home. In South Africa, star warts of South Africa's ruling party, the African National Congress, say it will now further discuss with the party's top six on the urgency of the consultative conference. Last year, it was resolved that it would take place two days before the party holds a policy conference, but the veterans say it will be too late, as Mbagli Sibanyoni reports.
6: The ANC Wars are not backing down from their request to have an early consultative conference. They say it's important to have it as early as April, as this will impact going forward the outcome of the party's policy conference, which will be held in July and subsequently when the party elects a new leader in December. ANC Starwart Reverend Frank Chigani.
7: The reason we would want to have it earlier is because we believe that the intervention on processes leading to the policy conference and the elective conference are critical. Uh, because what happens at that conference will determine the direction the, the, the African National Congress will be taking um, beyond that, and that's critical. So there will be a, a parallel process of leading to the National Consultative Conference.
6: The Star Wars also spoke at length of the interventions that still need to be made within the party, also focusing on the policies surrounding the electing of a president of the party and the country. Chigane says some of the current policies may need to be changed. Constitutional issues
7: like the manner in which leaders are elected, uh, both in government and in the party, you know, elective systems, electoral laws, the constitution, There are issues that might need to change, and if you want to do that, you're going to have to run a uh, two-track operation leading to the National Consultative Conference and feeding it into the policy uh, processes.
6: The Star Wars say their current interventions are not actions of factionalism, but are seeking solutions to continue to drive the party forward. Star Sidney Mafumadi says they are simply trying to bring about change.
3: We took up the Kajals on behalf of an ANC we know. An ANC which brought us up on the basis of certain principles and values from which we have witnessed over a period of time a deviation. Uh, those are issues that are more important than um, auditioning for leadership. That's where we are putting more emphasis than talking about leadership. It is possible that some people might see a specter of factionalism, even where it does not exist
6: the party will elect a new president as it prepares for its elective conference this year in December. The ANC Women's League has already endorsed outgoing AU Chairperson Gwosazan Adlamini Zuma to lead the party while Kasatu is backing Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa for the top job. Bali Sibanyoni, Parktown. As pressure mounts for Gambia's President
1: Yahya Jammeh to step down, the embattled president faces isolation even from within his own cabinet his Minister of Communications and former close ally Sharif Bojang has resigned protesting against what he calls Jamez's attempts to subvert democratic processes. Channel Africa's reporter Kumbero Munjerere has compiled this report.
8: Bojang's resignation is the first high-profile cabinet defection since President Yaya Jame refused to accept losing a December election. In his resignation statement, Bojang says President Jammeh's refusal to step aside and hand over power to opposition leader Adama are an uh, attempt to subvert the express will of the Gambian electorate. Minister Bojang, who was appointed to the top job two years ago, made headlines in October last year when he announced that gambia had intended to leave the international criminal court arguing that the court was discriminating against african people james opponents hope the departure of minister bojang might signal further defections from among his allies within the country who retain control of the army and other state institutions jagan gray johnson from the open society foundation's africa regional office says bojang's resignation is an act of self-preservation
9: I don't think um, it's too much of a big deal in the greater scheme of things. Um, I think it was to be expected that uh, people will start jumping ship. It's not necessarily or should not be viewed as a resignation based on principle. Um, I think it's rather a resignation based on self-preservation by virtue of the fact that Mr. Bojang has been there at least over a year, maybe a little longer than that. When the crisis and political crisis and the, the, the actual um, protests um, started happening in the country as far back as uh, March and in April uh, led to the death of Solosandé. Um And all these um, were incidents um, that violated human rights, that um, people were, were illegally detained, people were killed, um, people were raped. And Bojang has been busy um, defending the position of Yanai Jami's regime. Um, So I don't see it as a resignation. I see it as self-preservation. And in the greater scheme of things, I don't think um, too much should be made out of it, because in the coming days, we should expect more people jumping ship.
8: With eight days to go before Jamais' presidential mandate ends, leaders of the West African regional bloc ECOWAS will be hoping their last-ditch effort meeting with Jame on Wednesday will persuade him to hand over power peacefully to allow Adama Barrow to take over. But with concerns of a worsening security situation amid the deepening political turmoil in the country, ECOWAS leaders have their work cut out, as Jagan Gray-Johnson explains.
9: Now, yesterday they met, and out of that meeting, they did not talk about the mercenary issue, but they talked about the issues, and if you looked at it, they talked about that they were concerned about radio stations being shut down, people were being chased out, supporters of the opposition were being chased out, and they were being arrested. Now, this is basically pointing towards the certain clauses where violations are actually occurring under the FOS protocol. So clearly they're being very technical as to how they're communicating this moving forward now if they meet with jami on wednesday it means that it's almost seven days to the day that his mandate ends from my point of view this is probably the last ditch effort and this is james last chance to basically see reason and then move on it is hard to tell whether he would actually take this opportunity and grab it with two hands and move on Secondly, if he does that, it is difficult to see how this would actually play out. When does he go? How does he go? Who does he go with? And then also most importantly, the worst case scenario is if he refuses and just ignores them, then the issue of ECOWAS following through on his threat to actually intervene militarily would squarely be now on the doorstep of the leadership of ECOWAS, and they're going to have to act
8: in brazen show of defiance Jame continues to use his power to crack down on opposition and shutting down news media outlets in gambia the west african regional bloc has threatened to send troops led by neighboring senegal if president yaya jamey does not step down on january the nineteenth Many have fled the Gambia, fearing a crackdown by the longtime leader who seized power at the age of 29 in a 1994 coup and is accused by rights groups of jailing and killing his critics. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbaro Munjerere in Johannesburg.
0: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. (laughs) Africa Rise and Shine.
10: I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel
11: Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa.
0: From an African perspective, listen to Channel African in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja.
12: This is Moki Kinzeka.
0: In Yawundi, Informing the world about Africa.
2: In Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa.
0: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: It's 822 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now deaths attributed to tobacco could rise to 8 million annually unless efforts are made to curb its usage, the World Health Organization has said people in developing countries are expected to be most at risk, according to the Economics of Tobacco and Tobacco Control report, which looks at the economic health care costs and development challenges if more people smoke. Mark Goodchild is from the WHO's Tobacco Control Economics Unit, and he was speaking to Daniel Dickinson.
13: Globally, we have seen an uptake in use and consumption in developing countries, which we are very concerned about. Of course, this is because tobacco use is a major public health problem already in high-income countries, and when we see use expanding in developing countries, we can see the writing on the wall here. Already, tobacco use accounts for 6 million deaths annually, and that includes around 600,000 deaths from secondhand smoke. If tobacco use is left unchecked, We expect the global number of deaths to increase to around 8 million per year by 2030, and more than 80% of those deaths will be in developing countries.
14: Is this really a global health issue?
13: Absolutely. The economic cost of tobacco use globally easily exceeds $1 trillion in health expenditure and lost productivity. And what we know is that uh, from individual studies, smoking accounts for up to 15% of public health expenditure in high-income countries. When we look at developing countries, health expenditure tends to be at a lower level, but this is because the smoking prevalence is lower and many people in low-income countries have less access to medical care. So what we see is a great risk as smoking prevalence increases in middle-income countries that will have this kind of cost escalation for both health expenditure and economic loss in developing countries.
14: Why is tobacco use increasing in developing countries?
13: It's a trend as incomes grow, people have more disposable income and are able to purchase tobacco products. We also see in many countries the industry influence where they are promoting cigarettes and new products to people as as their incomes grow. And in many cases, we've seen good progress on tobacco control measures in high income countries that many of the low and middle-income countries are only just turning the attention to this problem.
14: So basically it's big business. They're looking at the world and saying we can make some money in in the poorer countries across the world.
13: Yes, that's right. We've um, summarised the evidence from around the world and really focused on low- and middle-income countries. So what we've found is that uh, tobacco control does make sense from both an economic and public health perspective throughout the world. And despite some good progress... These measures not been properly utilised in low and middle-income countries yet.
14: Presumably there are economic benefits though of the tobacco trade, especially in poor countries where the crop is grown.
13: Well, what we find consistently is that there is a, a net economic loss from tobacco use in these countries, even allowing for trade and production. Of course we recognise that in some countries the tobacco industry represents a source of employment, what we've seen in the global trends is that even with strong tobacco control measures, the production will not decline dramatically. And really there are broader trends at play, for example, globalization and the movement of tobacco production, for example, into Africa and away from high cost centers. So really there's a lot of trends at play here that we would encourage policymakers to focus on the key things that are needed for sustainable development which is the healthy population and also they should recognise that tobacco taxation is a very good source of revenue and this money can be put back into sustainable development programmes especially in the health sector. This kind of policy we'd call a a pro-poor policy because it's putting money back into social sector benefits the poor people the most. They have more access to these kind of services.
1: That was Mark Goodchild from the World Health Organization's Tobacco Control Economics Unit speaking to Daniel Dickinson. Political actors in the Democratic Republic of Congo remain divided on the implementation of the agreement signed at the end of December under the country's Catholic Bishops facilitation. The opposition rally has said the new prime minister to be appointed has to come from veteran opposition leader Etienne Chisiquetti's political party, while other opposition parties believe the agreement was not inclusive. Jeanne Ouerponoze reports from Kinshasa
11: the political agreement signed here in kinshasa on december 31st by both politicians a part of the october agreement and those who boycotted it allows president joseph kabila to remain on power until the inauguration of a newly elected president The difference between the October and the December agreements is that elections have to be held in December this year instead of April 2018 and a new prime minister has to be appointed from the opposition rally. And indeed, the opposition rally has said only the Union for Democracy and Social Progress will provide a new prime minister since none of the opposition parties is more important than veteran opposition leader at Sekedis party, UDPS. But this is not really the opinion of some other opponents who believe the Catholic bishops who facilitated the dialogue designed an agreement just for the opposition rally's happiness. It's not even inclusive, according to the Minister of Cooperation for Development, Clement Kanku.
15: We
11: We reject that agreement, bringing a real exclusion, since it says the National Follow-Up Committee will be led by Chisekedi, but it says again that the Prime Minister will come from the opposition rally. This agreement is not inclusive. Meanwhile, some other opponents believe there is no political will to implement such an agreement while the time is not on this country's politicians' side. Both the new Prime Minister to be appointed and his full cabinet have to be inaugurated by the Parliament and this will be done this month since members of Parliament will go on leave in few days only. Juvenal Munubomubi is an MP from the Union for the Congolese Notion UNC.
16: We have not long time, because uh, in December this year we must organize the presidential, legislative and provincial elections. But I don't see yet now a lot of signs of
11: Minister Sami Badibanka was appointed on November 17th. The 67 government team he's leading was appointed a month later on December 19th. And now it's a new government that's expected here in the DRC. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamwezi. Our
1: headlines up next with on
2: Kenyan police have arrested two suspected members of the Somali Islamist group Al-Shabaab, suspected of planning attacks on churches and other sites in Nairobi. A mediation mission by West African Regional Block echoes to Gambia is delayed from Wednesday until Friday. And outgoing U.S. President Barack Obama gives an emotional final speech. Channel Africa News, I'm on
6: Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: It's thirty-two Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for more global action to conflict on conflict prevention. In his first address to the UN Security Council, Guterres stated that prevention is not merely a priority, but the priority for saving lives, reducing suffering, and giving hope to millions worldwide. Tianpen reports.
17: There was more buzz than usual in the Security Council on Tuesday as foreign ministers, ambassadors and their staff packed the chamber ahead of the debate, which was organized by Sweden. The country's foreign minister, Margot Wallström, made the case for greater political action on conflict prevention. 2016 expressed the urgent need for a global recommitment to multilateral solutions to conflict and to collaborative security and specifically to the prevention of conflict. The horror in Syria and Yemen and situations such as the instability in the Democratic Republic of Congo dominate this Council's work. Can we afford an ever-growing list of crises slipping into violent conflict and needless human misery? When Antonio Guterres took the reins of the UN on January 1st, he called for making 2017 a year for peace. The Secretary General told the Security Council that ending human suffering and the wanton waste of resources generated by conflict is in everyone's interest.
4: We must rebalance our approach to peace and security. For decades, this has been dominated by responding to conflict. For the future, we need to do far more to prevent war and sustain peace. Mr. Guterres
17: outlined some of the reforms he is putting into motion. He has appointed a special advisor on policy who will look at integrating those parts of the UN system that work on conflict prevention so that they can better address early detection and action. However, he said the primary work of avoiding conflicts lies with the 193 countries that make up the UN's
4: membership. International cooperation for prevention and particularly translating early warning into early action depends on trust between member states and in their relations with the United Nations. I stand ready to foster a more trusting relationship and to improve communications with the Council with consistency, candor and transparency. Disagreements about the past cannot allow us to prevent from acting today.
17: The Secretary-General pointed out that war is never inevitable but a matter of choice. He said the same also applies to peace. Deanne Penn, United Nations.
1: Global economic growth is expected to rise by 2.7% in 2017, according to a report released by the World Bank. Improvements in the commodity market with respect to the export and import of gold Oil and agricultural products and growth in advanced economies have been cited as reason for this moderate increase. However, the report also analysed how weak investments and policy changes could play a role in affecting regional and global growth forecasts. Priyanka Shankar asked Mark Stocker, senior economist at the World Bank, about his global growth outlook.
18: 2016, this was a particularly difficult year for the uh, the global economy. Growth reached a post-crisis low of 2.3%, which resulted from from two factors mainly. One is the the continued stagnation of commodity exporters. It was the second year uh, when commodity exporters uh, did not register any meaningful growth. And then you had uh, slowing growth in major advanced economies. So these two factors resulted in the, what was really a rock bottom for the global economy in the past crisis period, but of course, rock bottom is be a good basis for recovery, and this is what we are expecting for uh, for this year to some extent. So we see a moderate uh, improvement in uh, in global growth to two point seven percent, which is again the reversal of what we've seen in uh, in two thousand and sixteen.
19: Investments also play a key role, and the investment level has been pretty low. What are some of the factors leading to the low levels of investment?
18: So, both public and, uh, and private investment across emerging and developing uh, countries has been uh, slowing down quite significantly since the the, the immediate post crisis period. Investment growth was 10 percent uh, year on year in 2010, and then slowed to to less than uh, 3.5 percent in 2016. Uh, And, of course, this is important uh, for the the global economy because investment in uh, in emerging and developing countries has come to play an increasing uh, role. Uh, It's accounting for one-half of global investment and and two-thirds of the growth of uh, global investment uh, over the last five years. So what what is happening in in emerging and developing countries uh, matters for the, uh, the rest of the world. Uh, Plus, uh, investment prospects uh, for uh, these countries is key for the future uh, growth of uh, of these economies. And if that weak investment environment uh, persists, this would have long-lasting consequences for growth prospects uh, through a number of channels. It would slow productivity growth, capital accumulation, technological progress.
19: Let's talk about the commodity market. How does vulnerability in the prices of commodities play a role in affecting the growth rate, especially in the developing economies?
18: If you look at commodity exporters, clearly the, the sharp deterioration in their terms of trade that followed the, the, the drop in commodity prices broadly since 2011, this has been a, a major factor uh, hampering investment in uh, in those economies. Now, if you look at commodity importers, you see that slowing FDI flows has been uh, explaining some of that weakness. And also the fact that policy uncertainty has remained uh, pretty elevated in, in those economies, but also in a number of uh, emerging and developing countries. This has been a factor hampering uh, investment.
19: How would change in a government's policy affect the growth level in that region?
18: What we've observed historically is when you have reform waves in emerging and developing countries, this is generally associated with uh, high investment growth. So the reform momentum is is very important for the investment uh, outlook in in emerging and developing countries. Now, policymakers can also uh, spur investment uh, more specifically, By supporting public investment directly or encouraging private investment through a number of measures, they can also support access to foreign direct investment and take a number of measures to improve human capital and infrastructure.
19: So with respect to a major economy like the United States of America, do you think the incoming president's policies will have ripple effects on the global economy's growth level?
18: Yes, the U.S. economy plays a major role, obviously. So... Any change in uh, in policy in uh, in the United States will have a ripple effect across the world. Now it is a bit early to actually assess in in detail what uh, what these changes will be. We don't have yet the uh, the elements to have a full assessment of how the outlook for the U.S. economy will be affected by uh, this this new administration. What we've done in the, in this uh, this report is to assess specifically the impact of. Uh, of tax cuts that have been uh, proposed and uh, that have been detailed in recent months. And what we have uh, found is that if uh, these tax cuts are fully implemented, not looking at any other policy changes, if they are also not compensated by other spending cuts, they could have a significant effect on the U.S. growth outlook.
19: Coming down to certain regional areas like the Middle East where conflicts are on the rise, how is that affecting their growth level?
18: For the Middle East and North Africa, we see growth recovering slightly this year in the the region but mainly thanks to the the recent recovery in oil prices. The growth is also moderate, and where the outlook has deteriorated the most is in sub-Saharan Africa. If you look at prospects for, for this year, uh, again, we see some improvement. deterioration of the, the outlook has been particularly marked in, uh, in large economies like uh, Nigeria and, and Angola. So we, we have some concern with uh, with developments in the region.
19: And lastly, how reliable are the figures from this report?
18: It is particularly difficult to make a macroeconomic forecasts in this environment, since there is quite some policy uncertainty and, uh, and policy changes are, are coming without knowing all the all the details yet. I'm referring to what was what the outcome of the U.S. elections, but also the decision of the United Kingdom to uh, to leave the European Union. There are also a number of elections coming up this year, which might bring more change. So it's it's particularly difficult uh, to make forecasts in in this environment. And we acknowledge that uh, focusing on, on, the, on the risk to, uh, to, to this forecast. In the case of the United States most specifically, what we've done is to uh, assume no policy change for the baseline forecast, since we didn't have enough detail to actually uh, assess the full set of policies that might change in the U.S. Uh, so obviously, the trajectory of, of our forecast will be affected by uh, whatever announcement will come from, from now onwards.
1: And that was uh, Mark Stocker, a senior economist at the World Bank, speaking to Priyanka Shankar. Malawi's government has confirmed that the electricity supply corporation of Malawi ESCOM has been officially unbundled. This puts to rest speculation that the move was facing hitches in areas of staff allocation and retrenchments. The development also implies that the generation of power is carved out of ESCOM and that a new company called the Electricity Generation Company Malawi Limited is operational. George Mango has more.
12: The development follows what government says implementation of the power market restructuring PMR program meant to increase efficiency in the power generation and creation of an enabling environment for Independent Power Producers IPP to invest in power generation. A statement from the Minister of Natural Resources, Energy and Mining made available to Media Houses says the development came into effect on January 1, 2017, thus the New Year's Day. It adds that the new company was registered and incorporated under the Companies Act of the Laws of Malawi on 7 September last year. The remaining functions for ESCOM have also been restructured to facilitate the efficient operation of the power market. The statement says, Recently, ESCOM also rolled out a $5 billion lead bar program for low-income earners to save 30 megawatts. The 30 saved megawatts are equivalent to building a new power station within five years. Earlier, David Mbewe, ESCOM regional manager for the South, had this to say.
15: The cost of uh, a LED bulb costs in roughly, roughly, about on average about four thousand kwacha, and then for a sixty watt battery bulb, which is in incandescent bulb, you buy at about three hundred kwacha. While these ones you buy at uh, four thousand kwacha or five thousand kwacha. But the consumption, the different consumption for sixty watt bulb, uh, incandescent bulb these ones, the uh, LED bulbs, they consume about 9 watts. If you see 100 watt incandescent bulb, these ones they consume about uh, 13 13 or 14 watts. So there's a lot of saving uh, for uh, the customer and also ESCOM to use these LED bulbs. But apart from that, you see, when it comes to bearing, these ones, since you'll be using the luminous or the brightness will be the same as either the 100 watt battery, or the one the 100 watt incandescent bulb, or the 60 watt incandescent bulb, is that means they will be a saving as far as billing is concerned for postpaid. Or when you want to buy units, that means when you buy those units, they will last. They will last longer because they they consume less. We have got this is a new technology. That's why we have it has been brought to uh, on the market and then that's why we're saying this one there'll be a saving as far as the corporate world is concerned apart from the, and also the customers are concerned, though ESCOM at the end of the day because of these uh, these problems definitely will be saving something
1: and that report by a George Mango our correspondent in Malawi. It's eight forty five and our economics update up next with Wisani Matebula.
14: Thanks Lulu and good morning. Cocoa futures uh, lead the most in a month in London after negotiations ended a 2-day army mutiny that has paralyzed several cities in Ivory Coast, which is the world's largest producer. Following an extraordinary cabinet meeting, President Alassane Ouattara said he has reached an agreement with soldiers who had blocked roads in the central city of Bouaké in, Do- in Dalwa, one of the biggest cocoa areas and the commercial capital of Abidjan. Protests began last week over demands for higher wages, payment of bonuses and better living conditions. than rest supported cocoa prices. It also brought back memories of the 2011 Civil War when features in London surged more than 20% in the first three months of the year. And global economic growth is expected to rise by 2.7% in 2017, that's according to a report released by the World Bank. Improvements in the commodity market with respect to export and import of oil, gold and agricultural products, and growth in advanced economies have been cited as reasons for this moderate increase. The report also analysed how weak investments and policy changes could play a role. World Bank senior economist Mark Stoker.
18: 2016 this was a particularly difficult year for the uh, the global economy growth reached a post crisis low of 2.3% uh, which resulted from, from two factors mainly one is the the continued stagnation of commodity exporters it was the second year uh, when commodity exporters uh, did not register any meaningful growth and then you had uh, slowing growth in major advanced economies so these two factors resulted in uh, what was really a rock bottom for the global economy in the past crisis period but of course rock bottom is be a good basis for recovery and this is what we are expecting for uh, for this year to some extent so we see a moderate uh, improvement in uh, in global growth to 2.7% which is again the reversal of what we've seen in uh, in 2016
14: South African government has paid almost a million US dollars to private firm to drive uh, the merger of South African Airways, Mango and SA Express. The firm is uh, about to draft a plan to merge the three airlines. President Jacob Zuma announced in his State of the Nation address last year that SAA will be merged with the two airlines to cut costs. And South Africa will host the first UN World Data Forum in Cape Town this month. The event will bring together 1,000 global experts, including data scientists, academics, and civil society groups. Statistician General Padile Hosha.
15: Uh, Well, I think uh, the important thing is that um, there are increasingly new sources of data that are useful. And uh, for them to be useful and usable, we actually have to have standards. Data is like currency. And if that currency is not like the rand or the dollar or a national currency or a global currency, then we can end up confused without knowing which data to use for which decision.
14: General Motors rose sharply on an upbeat 2017 earnings focus during a mixed day for Wall Street stocks following a choppy session. The biggest U.S. automaker climbed 3.7% as it projected better than expected 2017 profits on expected strong sales in North America and also in China GM also announced 5 billion US dollars in new share repurchases expanding an existing program to 14 billion dollars US stocks were positive much of the day but bouts of selling prevented the Dow Jones from making another serious drive towards 20,000 points Financial indicators now, the dollar at 13.63 and at 10.61 Botswana Pula and at 10.93 Zambin Guacha. Also trading at 0.81 against the British pound and 0.94 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,190, platinum $978 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil is at $54.98 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now.
1: Thank you. We're signing our sports update up next with Figi Lelingwati.
10: In this update, we begin with football news. Former Uganda international goalkeeper, Post Omoni, is confident that his compatriots will make the country proud at the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations. The 16-team biennial tournament will commence in Gabon on Saturday, with hosts taking on debutants Guinea-Bissau in Libreville. Uganda will be looking to make their mark in a group featuring heavyweights such as Egypt, Ghana and Mali. Well, on paper it looks a bit bit tight, but I mean, uh, when you're in a tournament, uh, it's all about growth in the tournament, you know. And uh, these boys have been together for a long time under Coach Mitchell. Uh, I'm rooting that they'll, they'll do uh, the country proud, you know. The East African nation qualified for AFCON for the first time since 1978. The team, which is devoid of big-name players, has the likes of Mamelodi Sundowns, goalkeeper Dennis Onyango, and Baroka FC striker Jeffrey Massa in their ranks, guided by former Orlando Pirates coach Milutin Srejodovic. Omoni, the former Bloomfield in Celtic and Black Leopards player who played for his national team for six years from 2003 until 2008, believes that his country's qualifying will boost up, eh, boost up the up-and-coming youngster's confidence. Well, uh, well, it's uh, it's 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 a great change for the country as a whole. You know, uh, it shows how much football has grown over the years. You know, uh, we've been having a lot of talented players, but just because of the jinx of Afcon, you know, they they, they get underrated. But uh, with with this, uh, I think it will boost the confidence of the youngsters in the country and those who are playing still playing their trade in uh, the professional ranks to push the country to a better standing. You know. And uh, I'm I'm rooting for the boys to do much better uh, in the tournament, you know. After the FIFA Council agreed unanimously to expand the World Cup to 48 teams, the governing body's president, Gianni Infantino, reiterated his belief that increasing the size of the competition will increase levels of soccer across the world. FIFA voted to expand the World Cup to 48 teams from its current 32, brushing aside concerns that the expansion would lower the overall standard of the tournament and make it too big and unwieldy.
8: At the last World Cup, two powerhouses of football, Italy and England, were eliminated by Costa Rica, which is a good team. It's not Argentina of Messi or Brazil of Neymar, it's Costa Rica. A good team that eliminated Italy and England at the last World Cup so we see that the global level the general level of football is increasing all over the world
10: Infantino's comments were echoed by FIFA Council members who also spoke to the media. CONMEBOL president Alejandro Dominguez was adamant that quality would improve and says the day was a win for world.
15: In the end in, uh, we have many uh, examples that were the surprises uh, of any kind of tournament so I would say that today with having more teams, I, my guess is that the quality of the game will even be ri- rise to a better level.
10: In cricket news, Protea's all-rounder Wayne Pannell says he's looking forward to today's test playing team announcement with high hopes to make the starting team for the third and the final test against Sri Lanka. After stealing the Test Series with a Mammoth victory in Cape Town, the Proteus go into the wondrous Test looking for a whitewash with a conundrum of which bowler to fill Abbot's void. Panel says he's ready to play for his place in the side should he get goal.
3: Firstly, we'll have to wait until Thursday to see if I'm if I'm picked. Uh, but if I am picked, obviously, really keen to um, play and you know make a mark. Um, whenever I've you know come into this space, um, I've I've always done what's was asked of me. So yeah, just really looking forward to Thursday. And if I'm if I'm picked, um, definitely 100. percent
10: And finally, the former SA Under 19 panel, who hasn't played Test cricket since 2014 February, believes that with Abbott's sudden retirement an opportunity to play for a permanent place in the team has presented itself. That's the Sport News, this hour.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: The President Barack Obama says goodbye in an emotional tribute. Tobacco deaths on the rise and global economic growth expected to rise by 2.7%. That wraps up Africa Rising Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu. Producer Ronald Peary, technical producer Sviso Mashejo, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at today or tweet us at shine or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now, taking us to the top of our following news uh, is uh, Sviso Mashejo's choice.